This is the Thanks for Sharing podcast, the podcast where we explore all things recovery, healing, and relationship. Remember to subscribe and download episodes in the iTunes Store, the Google Play Store, or on the Podbean app. You can find more Thanks for Sharing at www.thanksforsharingpodcast.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash healingpaths. That's path with an S. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Thanks for Sharing. This is John T. And I'm Jackie P. Um, we are going to talk today about shame. Yes. Um, and uh, Brene, we know you're listening, so uh, <laughs> we, we couldn't get you booked for this show. So because we know you're listening, we, we'd like to have this discussion with you because I'm sure there's points in the research and points in your work that you could articulate far better than we could. Right. Um, and even like, so what, what we want to talk about in shame today it's something that we notice, especially in working with couples mm-hmm. um, and people new to recovery. Um, and we have some observations. We also have some questions on what exactly shame is and mm-hmm. when when it's useful, when it's definitely not useful. Yeah. Well, and I would say, uh, you know, Brene Brown's work has been around long enough um, that Most people, a lot of people are familiar with it. Maybe not most, um, but a lot of people are familiar with it. And in some ways, it's pretty trendy. I I was going to say, every time I present, if I say, have any of you heard of Brene Brown, I hear a laugh. And they'll say, any therapist we've heard talk says that exact same Mm -hmm. thing. Yeah, she's actually, she herself is quite trendy, um, which, you know, as she shares, is not where she started out. Mm -hmm. Um, She started out with a lot of backlash, um, and it got pretty personal for her. Um, but I think while shame and Brene Brown are really trendy, I still think a lot of people have a lot of misunderstanding around it. Mm -hmm. So, and we hear that in our sessions, you know, weekly or we, we hear it very regularly. So I think doing a podcast about it, hopefully this expands your understanding Mm -hmm. and is helpful. Yeah. And I think the place that we want to start is kind of around that idea of, um, or, or that thing that we see, I think, especially with couples and individuals who are early in recovery, that extreme sensitivity to shame. Mm-hmm. Shame. It's like they they take some sound bites from Brene Brown, and now anytime I feel uncomfortable because of what you're saying, that's shame. Right. And so there can be this real rush to, you're shaming me, you're wrong, that's bad, don't do yeah. that. Well, and I think it's that if I feel shame... It's somebody else's fault. It couldn't possibly mm-hmm. be coming from within me. Somebody mm-hmm. somebody must be shaming me for me to feel shame, which mm-hmm. I think is one of the myths. Mm-hmm. It, it could be true. Somebody think, could be shaming you. I think that's where our core shame messages start is mm-hmm. from other people. Um, but once that is awakened in us and once that's a part of us, mm-hmm. I think there are things that we can do all on our own mm-hmm. that activate that. Right. So let's talk for a minute, kind of at the beginning, when we're little kids, right? I I think little kids are shame absorbers. Yeah. Um, Actually, they're probably emotional absorbers. Mm -hmm. And we've taught absorbers. I don't know if that's a word. Um, It is now. (laughs) But we've talked before about how kids um, literally plug in to the um, nervous system and the emotional system of the people around them, mm-hmm. you know, and that can help them regulate. It can also deregulate them. So I think, you know, I, I will talk about sometimes where if, if your parents um, behaved in shame, shameful, shameless ways, mm-hmm. right? So that's somebody, I would say my dad was a shameless person, Yeah. right? He did things that he should have been ashamed about, right? He took money 
that we didn't have a lot of and it should have gone to paying our grocery bill or you know our school lunch tickets or something like that and he gambled that instead right that's shameless behavior if he would have felt shame he probably wouldn't have done those things right because that is you know prior to Brene Brown we had Pia Melody and John Bradshaw who were writing and talking about shame and they would talk about healthy shame versus toxic shame Uh right and they would say look we are an evolutionary species, mm-hmm. meaning what doesn't work for us, whether that's genetically or whatever, we evolve out of that. Mm-hmm. And shame has stayed with us. Mm-hmm. Therefore, it must serve some purpose. Mm-hmm. And they talked about, you know, shame is that it, it allows us to live in communities. It allows us to be mm-hmm. relational because if I were to see somebody else's property and say, I like that, I'm going to take that. My shame says, you shouldn't do that. That's wrong, right? And so that makes me a good member of my community. It Mm -hmm. makes me a good member of families for me to fill my own shame. But as a kid, if your parents were behaving in shameless ways, meaning they were doing shameful things, but they wouldn't feel the shame of that. Mm -hmm. Well, who's going to feel that shame, right? The kids who absorb the energy. Mm -hmm. And, and so now we call that, like I've heard it called carried shame. I I'm carrying somebody else's shame Mm -hmm. or inherited shame. Um, it's shame that isn't mine. Yeah. And so my brain is kind of in this loop, recognizing that my body is feeling shame, but my brain's like, literally kind of like, well, what did I do? Yeah. I, I And it's going back and it's kind of re, rewinding the tape and trying to figure out what did I do to that was wrong that makes me feel ashamed. And it can't find anything because, mm-hmm. again, it's not the kid's shame, right? It's dad's shame or yeah. it's mom's shame or somebody else's shame that they've absorbed. And so, you know, the brain, I mean, this is very simplistic, very reductive, but So the brain concludes, well, I didn't do anything wrong. Therefore, I must be wrong. Mm -hmm. Who I am must be wrong. And there's that endless search for what am I supposed to do to correct this? Mm -hmm. And I think that often contributes to a lot of helplessness and a lot of hopelessness because you can't find an answer to somebody else's problem. Right. You can't find a solution to somebody else's shame. Right. There's nothing you can do that writes that wrong. Yes. Um, So you are feeling the shame. And there's literally nothing you can do about it. Mm-hmm. And and especially when you're young, you're not recognizing that it's not yours. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's there's no differentiation between me and not me. Right. Um, it's all you. Right. Um, so Brene Brown, in her research, she talks about the difference between guilt and shame. Mm-hmm. And she talks about some of the utility of guilt. Um, and I think that's something that the folks that we've worked with, at least, they've missed that part. Yes. I talk to clients a lot who have read her material, love her material, watched her YouTube videos, and they know that shame is wrong, right? And and Brene Brown, I, I haven't asked her this, right? I haven't had this conversation with her. In I'm all the many times you guys have right? talked face-to-face. In all of our lunches <laughs> that we regularly do. Um, In my mind. <laughs> <laughs> I... But I'm, I'm, so I'm taking a guess here, but I'm thinking, you know, cause Pia Melody and John Bradshaw would talk about healthy shame versus toxic shame. And Brene Brown kind of came along and said, there's shame, which is bad. And there's guilt, which is good. Mm-hmm. 
And again, that's somewhat reductive, but sometimes when you're, you know, writing books and lecturing, it's helpful and it sticks for people. Um, And that way we're not like, well, there's two kinds of shame. So, but for a lot of my clients, when we talk about that, they they didn't pick up that Mm -hmm. guilt is good. There's actually, sometimes I'll hesitate to recommend clients read Brene Brown early on in recovery. Uh Because I think a lot of times what we're doing early on in recovery is this firefighter response. Mm. Anywhere there's a fire, I need to put it out and I will Mm -hmm. grasp onto anything. So I'm always fascinated to hear how my words get translated with my people early in recovery. Don't you love that? Because most of it is very self-serving and very justifying Mm -hmm. of whatever they're doing. Well, John said (laughs) that you can't be doing this to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I, I almost hesitate to give that, not because I don't think it's useful, but because I think when we are looking for any kind of escape from our pain... We'll find anything mm-hmm. that will do that. And especially the more clout or the more credibility that resource has, mm-hmm. we'll throw that out there and we'll, we'll use that. Mm-hmm. I actually don't think Brene Brown's work is about bypass. I think it's right. about the exact opposite. Yes. It's about- well, and, and if you started putting it together, right, because she also is talking about and doing work about how much we love to blame. Yeah. And, and, and that connects into the shame piece. Mm-hmm. I think she says, when we blame, we're neck deep in shame. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's it's definitely a very nuanced thing. And as you're, as you're talking about the shameless behavior, I want to point out here, and in, in my conceptualization, and this is something I'll have to ask Brene Brown about at our next imaginary lunch, <laughs> um, it seems to me like the shame that doesn't serve us or the toxic shame is something that comes externally. Mm. It's something that belongs to mm-hmm. somebody else. It's a message that we get from somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um but that feeling of I've done something and that's affected our relationship, mm-hmm. that's changed things. And I kind of do that head down, mm-hmm. shrink back thing. To me, that's more of the guilt or that's more of the healthy shame. That's right. an invitation to stop and um, evaluate what mm-hmm. is going on. To right. evaluate what did I contribute to this or what's happening for my partner. Right. What did I do or what did I not do? What did I say or what did I not say? Mm-hmm. That's creating this internal mm-hmm. shame response that's saying, hey, mm-hmm. you had a role here or you didn't have a role here mm-hmm. or whatever that breaks down to be. But when when shame is coming internally, we have to look at that and we have to do an inventory on our behavior. Part of what prompted us recording this episode is we've been talking about experiences that we've had with clients lately. And um, I was working with a couple recently who has worked really hard to get to a point where they can have responsible conversations for the whole hour. Mm-hmm. Um, we started out and like three minutes in, the addicted spouse would be overwhelmed, just flooded because mm-hmm. it was too emotional. Mm-hmm. And so they've really worked to get to this point where they can actually hold some emotional space for a good amount of time. And um, at the end of one of our recent sessions, they had held open some really great emotional space. And then I felt the addicted spouse shrink back. And um, the other spouse just said, I'm angry now. Mm-hmm. Um, this always happens. I can't say what I need to say or my spouse is going to be overcome with shame. I can't talk about my experience mm. without my spouse feeling shame. And what I felt in that session was not that what she had said had induced shame. Mm. Um, what I felt is what she had said. She talked about her experience and he experienced appropriate shame. Like I almost wanted to jump up and down and say, this is great. Mm. Let you him- should be feeling... Like the fact that you're feeling some shame is decent of you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And let, and I, I, I talked to them and I said, you're, he might need to feel this for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. 
And you guys might need to set a time where you're going to take a break from this emotion and like go get ice cream or do something light mm -hmm. to, to signify the hard work. But he might need to feel that for a while. Right. Because that will then lead to remorse. And, and that's where um, Brene Brown talks about guilt is good because it often does lead to change. Mm -hmm. If we'll allow ourselves mm -hmm. to feel that and say, hey, what I did was not okay. Or mm -hmm. what, what, you know, where, and she differentiates that, that shame says who I am is not okay versus guilt saying um, my behavior was not okay or mm -hmm. what I did was not okay. Um, and that leads to a remorse and that often leads to a change cycle. Yeah. And I think this is where it gets tricky. And this is something Brene Brown talks a lot about. Um, we can't ever utilize shame to make people act in a certain mm -hmm. way. Um, that doesn't work long term. Right. That doesn't put them in a position, position where they're learning. So I would point out here when this is happening in the couples that we work with, we're not doing things to increase the shame in mm -hmm. the room or to mm -hmm. make anybody feel that. But it's inevitable as you're working with couples or you're working with individuals who have betrayed every sense of self in pursuit of their mm -hmm. addiction, they're going to trip across shame right. as you're talking about their story. Or, or you may have somebody who was raised in a shame-based parenting home. Mm -hmm. um, and, and sometimes that looks like, you know, I mean, it can be very, it can be very um, overt, but it can also be pretty subtle and you may not be recognizing it, you know, so it, it can be something like, uh, maybe mom says, oh, you didn't get straight A's. Mm -hmm. Well, I just thought you were better than that. Mm -hmm. And, I, you know, in our family, we're known for being smart and we, mm -hmm. we get good grades. Mm -hmm. Right. That's shaming. Mm -hmm. And and that child, if, if that's what's happening over and over, they become shame filled. Yeah. Not with their own shame, because getting less than an A is not shameful behavior, right. right? You don't need to feel ashamed mm -hmm. about getting a B or a C. Um, but you can made, be made to feel ashamed mm -hmm. for getting anything less than an A. And and so then you're shame-filled. You don't have a, a lot of room for your own shame. Mm -hmm. And it gets really confusing when yeah. you're filled with all this other shame. Well, not surprising then, you have a tendency if you're shame filled to then react in shameless ways. Mm -hmm. Right. So this cycle begins between mm -hmm. being shameless and then being shame filled. And, and I experience that most often with people who are filled with shame and reacting in shameless ways to that shame is this like violent expulsion of the shame. Mm -hmm. um, it's not just, I'm going to do this little thing. It's like really big in your face. Um, shame on display, but I'm not going to feel any shame mm -hmm. about it. It's a mm -hmm. really big reaction to that. As you were talking about the A's in school, this reminded me of um, my oldest, who now is an avid reader. Like, we can't keep mm -hmm. him out of books. It's actually, we have to go check on him after we put him to bed to make sure that his <laughs> light is off at a decent time and that he goes to sleep. But um, through kindergarten and about the first quarter of first grade, he really wasn't interested mm. in reading. I don't think he quite got it. Um, and I think the effort of trying to learn to read was just overwhelming for him. Mm. And um, we didn't really push that. Mm -hmm. um, that's just not our parenting style. We figured when he catches the bug, he'll catch the bug and mm -hmm. he'll do fine with it. Um, but it was interesting within the first couple of weeks of first grade and his kindergarten teacher was very much like, they'll pick up reading when they pick it up and mm -hmm. that's fine. Um, so within the first few weeks of first grade, 
he comes back home and he says, everybody in my class can read better than me. Mm. And I think my teacher expects me to be able to read. And so when we're going around the class and she calls on me to read, he's like, I don't want to read because I can't read like the kids in my class. Mm. And we just kind of talked to him about that experience. And lo and behold, he became very motivated to learn how to read. Mm. Um, I think that some of that shame that he was feeling, some of that I'm not meeting the standard, Mm -hmm. I'm not measuring up, that he had from within him, I think that motivated him to focus. Mm -hmm. And it pushed him into something that he wouldn't have otherwise. Right. I think if we had rode him to practice reading and you've got to hit these benchmarks Mm -hmm. and why don't you have this, I think that would have actually shut down the learning process. Mm -hmm. Or for some kids, right, they are more competitive Mm -hmm. and they'll rise to that. But I don't know that this need to be competitive is the best reason for learning. No, I I think it's another form of shame. If he came home and said, I have to be the best reader in my class, I would have been concerned and Mm -hmm. we would have talked about that. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's definitely, I think there's definitely people out there who are driven by that. It's not just good enough for me to perform and to feel comfortable with this. I've got to be the best. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's another one of those violent expulsions of shame. Mm -hmm. It may not look like anger overtly, but it's, um, there's a lot of I'll show you. Right. And how dare you, how dare you not recognize how great I am. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so let's talk about, um, because I, I really don't think as I work with clients and even just talk with people, I, I don't think people are very good at differentiating between their guilt and their shame. It all feels mm-hmm. like shame, right? Mm-hmm. And that's something I have to work with clients on. And sometimes I'll say things like, can I give you feedback about something without mm-hmm. tipping you over into a shame spiral? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're talking about, and Brene Brown does talk about this in her work, Um, developing some shame resiliency. Yeah. Like, how do I keep myself from going there? Because I could go there, and I see this with clients, um, like you were talking about with your your couple that you were working with. Um, If it was an appropriate shame, which in your example it was, um, that he was feeling, but they can, you know, they, they feel so shamed, and they've said to the partner, that's your fault if you're making me feel that. Yeah. So the partner doesn't get to feel like, I feel bad mm-hmm. that you just had sex with the neighbor. Mm-hmm. And, gee, who should be feeling bad about that? Right. Not, I mean, the partner can feel bad about that. But what we have is the partner feeling bad about it, but she can't because then she would shame him. Or, or we'll hear over time, that was so many years ago. When are you mm-hmm. going to get over it? Mm-hmm. And I think that attitude um, is evidence that there's not an appropriate interaction right. with shame going on. It's still this, that's your problem. I'm, yes. I'm past that. Well, and especially when the, the addict has not been willing to sit down and listen mm-hmm. and then hear mm-hmm. the emotional pain that the addict caused. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's an important part, right? And we do that in our disclosure process. That's the impact letter. Mm-hmm. And they're listening to the damage that mm-hmm. they have created over years. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, the, the purpose of that session is not to increase the shame for the addict to do something that we want them to do. Right. Um, the purpose of that is for the spouse who's been betrayed to hear, to feel heard. Right. Um, and to feel listened to. And for the spouse who's done the betraying to really sense the impact Mm -hmm. of that, but it's not to create shame that's not already there. Mm -hmm. 
or to heighten a sense of shame. And I'll get a sense for that when we start working on amends. Mm-hmm. You know, have have we really adequately um, done the work around the person's own shame mm-hmm. and what they did do, or or guilt, if we want to use Brene Brown's word, um, and what they did do that was wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if they want to make an amends, that sounds like, hey, sorry about that. Mm-hmm. Like, n- no, that's not that's not what is needed, right? Yeah. That's not that's not an in depth amends, mm-hmm. and that usually means we have not done the in depth examination. Mm-hmm. So I would say looking at what the feeling that you're feeling motivates you to do. Mm -hmm. If it's a cut off all access, don't go here, don't feel that, you're probably experiencing some toxic shame. Mm -hmm. Um, If you can see in that feeling, gosh, this is really hard feedback and I hate feeling this, but there are some things for me to look at here Mm -hmm. or it would be useful for me to understand. Um, And I even think um, toxic shame there can be some room for some curiosity about that. Right. You know, if I spend my life walking around feeling like I'm the worst person in the world, I better get curious about that. Mm -hmm. Um, I better know why I believe that. Right. And I better know where that comes from. Yeah. Um, And so that, I think that's one of the shame resiliency tools is asking what's the story behind this. Yeah. And, And I will add, I share with clients sometimes when I was growing up like elementary school and I don't know, I, I would ask my mom, but I can't do that because she's passed away. But there was this, I have this vague memory and I did do an Amazon search and I found a book that kind of looked like it was from the seventies. So I'm thinking, oh, maybe that was bigger than, I, I couldn't tell if that was like a district wide thing in my school, if that was a uh, statewide thing, if that was a nationwide thing, right? Um, but there was this, I do remember like, I guess it would be the school counselor who came into the classroom and would do um, like these little teaching object lesson kind of stuff. And I don't remember if it was just a year or if it was more than that. But I remember this whole, I I call it a campaign because I don't know what else to call it. Um, Maybe similar, like when I was growing up, we didn't really do Red Ribbon Week or stuff. That was after my elementary school time. but it was this whole campaign that was like, I'm okay and you're okay, mm. right? And it was if, and, and they would talk about if you come from a place of I'm okay and you're not okay, then that's not helpful. Or you're okay, but I'm not okay, right? And it was all this, I'm okay, you're okay. And I think that's a great place to come from for some shame resiliency, mm-hmm. right? If, if we're starting with I'm okay and you're okay. And there's not this kind of power dynamic that says you're better than me or I'm better than you. Um, and and so it's this, I who I am as a person is okay, mm-hmm. right? Like I'm just fine just the way I am. Mm-hmm. And then we go from there, right? But if, if I've got a client who's going to spill over into some shame result or a shame spiral, they go into this, I'm not okay. Everybody's mm-hmm. okay, but I mm-hmm. am not okay. Mm-hmm. Well, we've got work to do there to get them to, you know what, just who you are is okay. And that never really changes. It's always been that way. Even if other people told you it wasn't or you believed that you weren't, you've actually always been okay. Mm-hmm. We, You make mistakes. You do things you shouldn't, as we all do. 
And that's the guilt piece. Mm-hmm. And we have to recognize that and then move into repair. Yeah. Yeah. I think another place where shame resiliency comes in, um, unfortunately, um, I think historically the addiction treatment com- community has been full of shame. Mm-hmm. Um I think just like people misinterpret Brene Brown's stuff, I think a lot of 12 steps has been misinterpreted mm-hmm. too. And when we talk about a bottom being necessary for recovery to happen, I think a lot of people took that as to the best thing we can do is speed this addict toward bottom. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and this isn't unique to 12 steps, but I, I think there can be some approaches to helping people recover from addiction that are like, you have to feel horrible or you're not mm-hmm. going to get better. Mm-hmm. So they, and I'll make you feel horrible. Yeah. yeah. So, so that becomes the intervention is extreme confrontation, taking these like really deep, dark secrets and throwing them back in somebody's face. Mm-hmm. Um, just this really insensitive handling of very critical, sensitive information. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that is still steeped in a lot of addiction treatment. Um, and that can be something that I think rightly so turns a lot of people off to getting help. Right. Um, so where shame resilience comes in, I think being able to engage with that Um, If you're feeling some shame, engaging with the people that you're feeling that around and finding out what it's about. Mm -hmm. You know, a couple of examples of people that I've worked with. um, I frequently hear from my clients things that are happening with their sponsors and Mm -hmm. problems that are happening with their sponsors. And I I don't think for a second it's my role to dictate what that's supposed to look like or to sort that out. But, um, you know, we do a lot of work on relationships, so it's relevant. And my advice is always, have you talked to your sponsor about that? Yeah. Have you asked them what that's about? And in one case, one individual that I was working with, um, he was talking about feeling a lot of shame when he interacted with his sponsor. And I asked him to talk to his sponsor about it. And what his sponsor did was pulled out the guidelines for their fellowship around sponsoring and said, I'm just doing this. So this Mm. is your problem. Mm. And as this client was talking to me about this, um, it felt like he was talking about his relationship with his dad. And so we explored that. We looked at what would Mm -hmm. that feel like for the sponsor to point back to, I'm just fine. This is about you. Right. Um, Another person that I was working with, uh, she was working with a sponsor in another state. And um, she was really impressed right out of the gate with this sponsor. Felt like she was getting really good help. And then she moved to this place that was kind of like, wait a minute. I thought I'm getting the feeling that I'd ask this person to be my sponsor for these issues. And now my sponsor is trying to tackle these issues with me and I don't feel like I asked for that to happen and so I gave the my regular response have you talked to your sponsor about Uh that so she goes and talks to her sponsor and she said um that was really helpful my sponsor said I didn't realize you weren't following me Mm. um let me tell you about why I'm approaching it this way and if you want that kind of help for me great if you don't we'll go back to what you expected it to be Mm. And she explained to her that she feels, her sponsor was saying, I feel like my approach to the 12 steps is useful for just about any problem that you're facing. Mm -hmm. And I'll help you take any problem you're dealing with and help you work that through Mm -hmm. the lens of the steps, Um, which I think is great sponsorship. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then this client of mine got to feel like, oh yeah, I do want that. And that is helpful. And something before that felt like my sponsor's being controlling and um, this is bad and I don't want this. She learned a little more about what right. that was about. And her sponsor responded in a way that was like, oh, I didn't realize we weren't on the same page. Let's let's right. figure this out. Right. Wh- which I think is so 
that story is such a great illustration of being relational, mm-hmm. right? And, and you had to kind of coach your client a little bit to say, like, have you talked to your sponsor? Like, go talk to your sponsor. But I think it also could have gone so wrong. And this is where shame gets in the way of so much, you know, that we can't have just those conversations mm-hmm. or the sponsor, if she had been a shame filled person, mm-hmm. wouldn't have been able to just get feedback and mm-hmm. see that feedback's feedback. She mm-hmm. had a question. She's mm-hmm. not questioning your ability. She doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, she may have wondered if her um, sponsor was controlling, but a lot of that depended on how the sponsor reacted. Mm-hmm. And when she was like, oh, I didn't realize, let me explain. Mm-hmm. I'm happy to explain. Right. All of a sudden it's clear that's not a controlling person. Mm-hmm. And and so for me, the shame resilience tool in there is dig in and find out what it is mm-hmm. and make a choice as to whether or not you're going to stay in that mm-hmm. or whether or not you need to change. Right. Um, because again, when it comes to experiencing shame, um, even if the people around us are shaming us, we're not going to make them stop that. Right. Like if that person is so shame filled that that's how they interact. Renee with you. Brown is not going to come do a workshop. <laughs> well, what, what is, what does she say? I'm not the jackass whisperer. Right. Um, I love that. I need to have that embroidered or like cross stitched and put on my yes. office wall. Um, but yeah, I, I think really when it comes to managing our shame, that's up to us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes we need to set really clear boundaries and we need to maintain those boundaries. Um, other times we may need to go find different relationships or find different support, um, Mm -hmm. people that can support us in feeling the shame that motivates us to change Mm -hmm. and recognizing what's ours and not, not burdening us with new shame or increasing the, the shame. Which is also part of that shame resiliency that, you know, if I'm encountering somebody who does shame me, um, like you said, I, probably I'm not going to change them. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's a really small chance. So we're not going to put our money there. Mm-hmm. Um, but what am I going to do? Like, do I need to set up boundaries around that? Mm-hmm. Right. Well, that's a good thing. Do I need to find different people? Mm-hmm. Um, which I may need to do both, right? Like maybe I can't not be in a relationship with this person. They're my boss or they're my coworker or they're my neighbor, something like that, where I'm not moving or, you know, changing jobs. Yeah. Uh, but I can do boundaries. And then it's really important for me to have people who don't shame me mm-hmm. that I hang out with, that I talk to, you yeah. know, so that, so that I have that feeling again, that I'm okay yeah. because I have people who treat me like that. Yeah. I don't think there is any emotional experience that can't contribute to your growth. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about shame in the sense that Brene Brown talks about it, um, I think that can contribute to growth, right? Not in somebody giving us that shame to motivate us to change or us using our, our own shame to motivate to change. Right. But just that ability to say that really hurts. I'm going to move away from that or that burns Mm -hmm. me. I'm not going to keep touching that. Mm -hmm. That's such an important experience for people in recovery to have. Right. To start getting intentional about the relationships they're in and to know why they're in those relationships. Yeah. So that response of, Hey, you're shaming me. You can't do that really is not helpful. I think it's bypassing. I think it is too. Mm-hmm. And and it keeps us from really um, digging in the rich soil mm-hmm. that's there for us to look at and usually leads to empowerment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So thank you for listening today. Yeah. Um, and again, we'd love to hear your thoughts on this, mm-hmm. especially you, Brene. We know you're listening. <laughs>
Remember at the end of this episode that your story matters. Remember there's something meaningful in every chapter. Don't wait to share your story till it is finished. You can share your story with us on our Facebook page, Healing Paths Inc., or on our website, www.thanksforsharingpodcast.com, or our email address, thanksforsharingpodcast at gmail.com. This podcast is solely for the purpose of information and entertainment and does not constitute therapy, nor should it replace competent professional help. At the end of another episode, we want to remind you that nobody has time for perfection. We are pursuing progress. Remember the prayer of the perfectionist. Help me remember I can't do it all. Help me to take things one step at a time and that the only step I need to focus on is the next right step for me. Help me to remember that life is a journey. Help me to be able to separate all that I'm learning from all that I have to do. Help me to remember that I am not alone, that I can ask for help. Help me to to strive for frequent awakenings, not mastery. I am enough. Amen.